0: The society have various kinds of beliefs and thought processes about a man and a woman separately. In the country where goddesses are worshipped in various corners and cultures, the same woman has been labelled a lot of things as per the conventional society norms. Going through all sorts of experiences of struggle and survival, pain, bad decisions, wrong men, experiences in various working domains, different cities, this bold and beautiful author and columnist on sexuality and gender is spreading awareness about the facts, desires, and the truth about women. Straightforward, not fearing to call a spade a spade, she has been talking about the status of single women in India and how impractically, painfully, the society, including men and women alike, sees the single women, especially the ones who are making a mark in this world with their works and contributions. Srimoyi Pyo Kundu has been featured on NDTV DNA India, just to name a few, and her books, Faraway Music, You've Got the Wrong Girl, Sita Curse, Status Single, and Cut, are some of the most prominent works in this domain of raising consciousness about women in our country. She has been awarded the Women of Worth Awards by NDTV for her contribution to the literature domain. Srimoe is not just inspiring millions of lives, especially of women, but she is intensifying humanity to her best possible extent. Welcome Shreemoe to this podcast, Intensify Humanity, and I'm so glad and honored to have you here today with us thank you
1: so much and it's a pleasure to be here this evening thank you
0: thank you shriboi and uh, no doubt you are an amazing writer and most importantly before that let me say you are an amazing thinker and your works have been like everywhere ndtv dna but let me ask you since the beginning how did this journey begin well
1: um You know, I mean, I'd have to answer this question in two parts, uh, because you call me a a writer and a thinker. I think my writing journey began pretty early, because I grew up a very lonely child in a sprawling ancestral home in Kolkata, and I was raised by a very resilient and gutsy single mother. So my mother was a very young widow, and I had lost my biological father to the shadows of schizophrenia. So we battled that stereotype and that social shaming and stigma. But I was raised in my grandparents' home, in my dadu-dida's home, you know, my maternal grandparents. And they were old and they were sick. And my mother was a busy teacher who in the evening had to, you know, even give tuitions to keep the home fires burning. So um, it was a very lonely childhood, I think, intensely lonely, cripplingly lonely, if I can use that word. And... Um, I've always found it easier to express myself through the vocabulary of my thinking and using language. So I actually used to write a lot in Bengali, but 20 years away from my mother, you know, my mother tongue in a sense in my hometown has now, uh, you know, rendered me incapacitated. So I write in English. But I would do a lot of poetry, I used to, I think my first works of writing were actually imaginary letters to my deceased father. And because I used to sorely miss, uh, you know, his presence, not knowing even what happened to him till I was a certain age. So writing began then. Uh, also, you know, our childhood was a technology free, thankfully. I mean, that's one of the regrets I have about the present generation that how uh, you know we give technology access to technology so easily to children and we've completely murdered and annihilated imagination uh, free thinking you know because they just go to school where they they are pressured into rote learning and indoctrinated to just be academically brilliant but there's really no release of the mind So for me, books were my constant companion. We had a beautiful library. Every birthday when people would gift me uh, things or even on Christmas when my dadu, uh, you know, he pretended to be Santa Claus and, you know, he would write me a a letter and keep it under the Christmas tree. He always would give me books. So I think literature was always an important part of my life. My maternal grandmother wrote uh, beautifully in Bengali. And it was her under her sort of influence that I started reading a lot of uh, Bengali books um, as a child, a lot of Bengali poetry uh, later on in life when I was in college, etc. So, you know, that's how the writing part happened. And then, of course, I've been a a fairly successful uh, mainstream journalist for about 15 plus years. And uh, I think journalism or being a journalist is always going to be in my DNA because um, I, I actually uh, you know, abandoned or sacrificed a very prestigious scholarship to go to Cambridge and study archaeology because I did history in Jadavpur University in Calcutta and I was a gold medalist. I've always been academically very brilliant. Uh Because I wanted to be a journalist, so I gave up a inLAc scholarship to actually go and work in the hard, cold, freezing city of Delhi at a salary of four and a half thousand rupees in the year two thousand uh primarily because I loved to tell stories, I loved to visit new places, I loved people uh I think because I grew up in such a you know like I said cripplingly lonely environment. I was always drawn to stories, you know, to conversations, to people and adults, because, you know, my uh, immediate circle was always adults. You know, my mother, my grandparents, the house staff in our home who were also very old, their children who were much older than me. So I was always intrigued by adult conversation. I was far maturer than an average child uh, growing up. So that's how it happened. And then in 2013, Um, I wrote my first book, uh, The Critically Acclaimed Faraway Music, um, which was, you know, considered to be a promising debut novel. Um, And that's how I actually began my literary foray. I had no idea then that this was what I would do full time and that, you know, branches would grow on the same tree because I do a lot more than just write now uh but uh, you know at that point of time there was this you know novel that was birthed in me and I had to just you know bleed onto my laptop word document and let it out into the world but I think my like you spoke about consciousness so my consciousness actually changed when I wrote uh, my second book which was Sita's Curse which went on to become uh, and still continues to be one of India's best uh, selling novels. And it's also considered and touted as India's first feminist erotica uh, because it really, I think, unleashed a wave of thinking where women unabashedly uh, claimed uh, the right to pleasure, spoke about pornography. Um, Through the book, I also addressed systemic sexual exploitation like marital rape, like godmen sexually abusing uh, young women on the pretext of educating them or blessing them or indoctrinating them. Um, and Sita's Curse was a trailblazer. It also won me uh, the coveted L'Oreal NDTV award, which was a popular choice award. So lakhs and lakhs of people voted me over the other three very worthy, um, you know, people who had been nominated. That's how my journey started actually. Um, but if I look at my writing career, I think it's, it's really very diverse because every book is different from the other. You know, Sita's curse was erotic uh, in nature. You've got the wrong girl was a lad lit. It was the first time a ladlet had been written by a woman instead of a man. Uh, Status Single, which was my fourth book, was my first non-fiction. And it was interviews with over three and a half thousand urban single women all over India. And then there was Cut in 2019, uh, which was a play. So Cut is a trilingual play. It's in Marathi, French, and English. And it was performed at the National School of Drama Uh, directed by the very, very acclaimed Abhilash Pillai. It opened the Bharat Rang Mahotsav in uh, 2019 in January. Uh, And now I'm going to start writing my memoirs uh, later this year. And I've just completed writing, uh, you know, a family saga, which is a sweeping family story, family drama, if I might call it, uh, of a displaced Bengali family over three generations called all our other lies so i think you know being a you know being a writer i've not done one thing uh, which also sort of you know exposes who i am uh, i'm a restless soul uh, i'm a seeker you know i'm never easily satisfied with any one thing and i think my prolific writing career is uh, example of that
0: this th- I just felt like I should listen more and more to you about your, uh, you know, the, about the books, about experiences. Uh, But I have to ask you here, the book Status Single, where you said you have interviewed over more than 3000 people, right, from the urban cities. What inspired you to write the book and why the name Status Single or what is the story behind it? So I am single.
1: Uh, I'm 43 now. I Uh, you know, I turned 40 in 2018, uh, which is the year the book came out. And, well, I had been experiencing, um, you know, the tumultuousness of being single, you know, everything from relationships to housing discrimination, to watching my friends uh, battle abusive marriages, face very, very difficult custody battles. Um, You know, I had seen a lot of the discrimination at workplace where, you know, divorced women were, you know, treated in a certain way I've seen ageism at work where you here you are, you know, diversity, inclusion, tom-toming about bringing back women into the workforce, but women above 50 or women above 40 even are considered to be completely, uh, you know, invisible in a sense. Uh, I was also seeing, you know, I had seen through my mother, Uh, the struggles of being a widow with a child and all the difficulties that she faced, including, I think, a lot of social stigma and uh, I was I was almost feeling that you know when we when we friends met we were all on dating apps now uh, we were still meeting jerks you know complete misogynist uh, toxic men uh, I had friends who's like I said you know who were choosing to be brave single mothers through adoption uh, one of my friends who's a very well known director in Calcutta Anindita Shorvadi Kari uh, she chose to become a mother through IVF you know she was uh, you know quite a trailblazer in that realm and she was open about going and buying her sperm and you know having a child so all around me I was seeing uh, this you know of course at that time it was only my friends but we were all single a lot of us you know either through divorce or not having ever been married a lot of our mothers were single uh, because you know they were all widowed you know uh, and I had seen my mother go through go down that road and my mother's remarried now but and to a wonderful human being but who's also about 14 years younger than my mother and he's a south indian but My parents have a great marriage by God's grace and by the blessings of our elders. And uh, I'm very proud of my family. We also, you know, about 10 years ago, we decided to foster our house helps uh, daughter, Sri Lekha, who's my sister, who's now 11. And she studies in a very well-known school of convent missionary school of Calcutta. So even fostering her, you know, I we decided to do this because uh, she and her mother were actually abandoned by the father uh, on her just a day before her fifth birthday. And I was just seeing that, you know, there was this class divide, right? When we thought of domestic violence or when we thought of abandonment, we always somehow felt this doesn't happen in upper middle class India or this doesn't happen in our kind of families, you know, the famous adage. But, it was happening. And I was asking myself that is the destiny of my maid, quote unquote, my sister's mother, who's our trusted, wonderful house staff, who we also love and look after, is her fate any different from, you know, my friend's fate? A friend of mine also had been abandoned by her husband after 17 years of marriage and two children. And he had just left you know, I mean, later on, she came to find out that he had already married some other woman and, you know, had a child with her, but she had no clue. And I was asking myself that, therefore, is the fate of single women the same in this country? And there's absolutely no support system apart from your family, who sometimes shun you and ostracize you and treat you even worse than your in-laws or your you know spouse who might have been abusive or exploitative or raping you or beating you up or cheating on you, uh, women were also financially. I mean, here we talk about you know oh you know so many women at the workplace, but so many women. I mean, when I even induct them into the community, uh, have all left their jobs when they had children, and they've just uprooted their life to fit into their husbands' homes, hearts. Uh, beds, you know, banks, you know, just to be the perfect wife. And once these marriages were breaking off, women were stuck because they couldn't even afford a lawyer's fee. You know, and I was seeing a lot of this, you know, I was seeing that even when I lived in a cosmopolitan city like Mumbai, you know, which is so said to be so free, you know, women come back at any time in the night and it's sexually sort of liberal. But even there, when I worked in Times of India as an editor, I couldn't get a house because I was single and I was a journalist. And uh, my brokers used to tell me, though I was going to take the apartment on a company lease, my brokers would always tell me that, Madam, aapna ye ring, I I always wear a ring on my left hand, but it's usually silver. So they would always tell me, Madam, aapna hiray uh, ki and they would constantly refer to me as bachelor girls. Your bachelor girls, you know, it's a very common name in in Bombay, so many housing societies, you know, they discriminate and they they treat a single woman no better than a sex worker with all due respect to sex workers, you know. Um, So I was seeing all this, all of this, then the Me Too erupted, you know, and most of the victims or most of the survivors of, uh, you know, workplace sexual harassment had all been single when these incidents had happened with them, be it my friend, Vinta Nanda, uh, you know, who spoke out against, uh, you know, uh, Alok Nath. I mean, she was a young writer director when she was molested or Tanushri when, you know, the incident against her happened or even uh, my, you know, friend and comrade from journalism Priya Ramani. they were all single women who had been treated uh, you know, uh, in a inappropriate manner, and by these older married sexual predators, and the system protected these men, and these single women spoke up years later, and we salute their courage, and we, we share their pain, and their humiliation, and their suffering, but the truth is that at that point of time, they were powerless, because, you know, the system doesn't support you, right, so, All these things, you know, were boiling and bubbling and, uh, you know, birthing inside me. And I was actually then doing a very popular column with a a website called Daily O, which is a property owned by India today, which was called Under the Belt or Below the Belt, actually. And uh, it was a very hard hitting sort of everyday look at life issues, a social commentary of sorts. And I would write a lot about being single, you know, how single women are slut shamed, how men consider you to be available, you know, how... Uh, older single women you know the the troubles they face how women are cheated out of their inheritance by their brothers how the thrust of caregiving for aging parents inevitably falls on the unmarried sister or the divorced sister and most of the time single women in India because there's no really assisted community living either move back in with their parents or the parents come and stay with them after a point so it's you know it's really a difficult complex um you know, equation. So I was writing about all this and that's when my agent in Delhi, uh, he said, "Shri, why don't you think of this as a book? And I told him that, well, you know, there's only one condition on which I would write this book that it's not going to be my memoir. It's not Sri Mui's autobiography of being single. Uh, I want to interview women. And what started as a uh, very candid addas over the phone, uh, interviews uh, with my girlfriends who were single, my cousins who were single, my didis who were single, some of my mom's friends who were now widowed and single, uh, became a, a extensive, elaborate, ostentatious, and if I may say so myself, ambitious research project which spanned about over a year uh, and led to millions of interviews. I mean, I ended up interviewing Uh, as I said, over three and a half thousand single women, and not just unmarried women, but these were divorced women. These were widows. These were uh, abandoned women. These were women with disability. These were trans women. These were LGBTQ, bisexual, lesbian, polyamorous women. So I also realized then during the course of mapping and recording and writing this book that what a diverse population we are, you know? I mean, there's no one kind of singlehood in this country. It's huge, it's diverse, you know? And the potential and the need, the pressing need for building a support group, a platform, a network, a community that would connect women all over this country and make us feel that we are not alone. Because that's what I felt when I was interviewing, oh, this happened to you this happened to you oh this happened like i said when it happened to my sister's mother when they were abandoned i realized that look at my friend she's a well known you know journalist she drives around in her car she's got her own home and she meets the same fate as an illiterate poor you know uh, probably not as glamorous looking woman so women the thing is women. It's not about, you know, rich single women, poor single women. Of course, the profile that I chose was urban single women because I felt that the hypocrisy and the double standards are much more in urban middle-class India than in rural India. Because honestly speaking, in rural India, firstly, very few women are single by choice. They all get married. I mean, in Bihar, children, I mean, at the age of eight or nine girls are getting married. So, Most of them are single because their husbands have deserted them or the husband has married four other women and impregnated more women or they are widows. But you know, in urban India, there were still women who are single by choice, right? Or who, because of their sexuality, could not marry a woman because section 377 wasn't yet decriminalized. Um, And I also realized that urban single women actually don't have a community rural single women have communities like ekal nari shakti sangathan which is based out of uh, north india rajasthan uh, jini Srivastava, i mean she's an iconic uh, woman leader in the space of rural single women but urban single women were also in an equal uh, you know uh, equally sort of predictable and precarious condition and there was absolutely no support because parents were still ill treating them Lawyers were still exploiting them, uh, you know, corporations were still harassing them and, you know, keeping them out, and it was still, see, in India, it's very difficult for a woman to live by herself, because we, we've never learned that, you know, we, 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 we are always reared, from the time we are born, we are labeled as a paraya dhan, you know, so we grow up knowing, okay, I'm going to inherit my mother's gold necklace or Banarasi sari, but on my marriage. That's the biggest milestone for a woman's life. And idiotically, we've connected our womanhood to our womb, which is the biggest fallacy because we, we're like on a ticking time bomb, right? This biological clock is nothing but like this huge bomb. Like we, we've become, we go on a suicide mission. So I'm always saying this, that when a girl is born, it's almost like you put her on a suicide mission, you strap this jacket called the biological clock around her womb, and you say, okay, your time starts now. And God help you, if you're 30, and you're a virgin, if you're not a mother, and if you don't have, if you've never had a boyfriend, you know, then even your friends will look at you like some kind of an outcast, like, are you ugly? Are you stupid? Like, are you frigid? Like, what is the reason no man likes you? Because that, you know, the, the validation, the approval, the lust, the desire, the, the legal sanction or the security of a man is conditioned and hardwired into our brain as the ultimate recognition of our womanhood. And therefore, this movement becomes even more critical and I'm often asked if, you know, the single women's movement is actually telling women not to marry, to be childless. Actually, none of the above. I, you know, I don't believe in the institutional structure of marriage, but I'm a sucker for romance. But, you know, my point is that a man or a love story cannot define my womanhood. You know, I am Sri Mui, and I will be Sri Mui whether or not I have a guy to sleep with or marry or have children with, you know my identity, my womanhood, my sense of being an Indian woman of the 21st century is not necessarily intertwined with if a man likes me, if a man chooses me, if a man finds me pretty, if a man gives me a job, if a man gives me an opportunity, if my father calls me daddy's little princess, you know, or my boyfriend says, oh, you're my queen, it doesn't matter you know so this movement is for the empowerment of women it's telling women to be financially independent before biting the bullet of marriage it's telling women to choose motherhood and not be pressured into your first child second child you know uh, going for ivf whatever it's your choice it's your womb you choose what you want to do with you know with it it's telling women that you don't need to stay in a you know, in a marriage where you're emotionally deserted, where you're physically abused, where you're disrespected or cheated on. It's telling women you can get back to work at any age. It's telling women to prioritize mental, physical, financial health. You know, it's telling women to take pride in other milestones of their life, getting a PhD, buying a home, buying a car, you know, being an aunt instead of a mother. You know, so I want to shift the lens of a woman's self-worth from marriage and motherhood to me. And by me, I don't mean Srimoy, I mean you, I mean they, I mean every woman out there.
0: This is so powerful, Srimoy. Like. I cannot describe in words because, of course, I second you on that, and because uh, being in Bombay, and I'm, I sh- I'm sure in other urban cities as well, we all have come across these gritty of the, you know, status hood to getting f- rented flats, uh, the discrepancy in the jobs in the different domains and everywhere, even, uh, even the women, the friends who are. Of your like of your life, they also sometimes uh, pass on these kind of judgments and comments. So it is very unfortunate that women are also conditioned in such a manner since a childhood. So my next question is: Do you think the root cause of these kind of thought processes somewhere related to the upbringing and childhood conditioning of these kind of women?
1: What do you mean, these kind of women? And-
0: these you know, kind that, of movement yeah. means, in, uh, for example, let's say, uh, I have the uh, women or, you know, my friends who are already married, and they think that, oh, you're not married. So, okay, so when are you going to marry? When are you going to settle? So means sometimes, like for some people, settling down means only marriage. So do you think that settling down means only related to marriage?
1: You know, so firstly, I have a huge problem with that word settling down, because uh, in my life, I'd never settle for anything. Uh, I don't settle for, um, you know, substandard relationships. I don't settle for half-assed friendships. I don't settle for work that doesn't pay me or fill my soul. And I don't settle for people who don't respect me. So as a person, I have never settled in my life. Had I settled, I would have just taken up that INLAC scholarship. I would have gone to Cambridge, met a nice Bengali intellectual boy, uh, You know, probably got married and produced two children. And I respect women who get married, who have children. Like I said, everything is a matter of choice and finding companionship, finding a wonderful partner, like my mother was able to find and uh, you know, zero in on a lovely man. And she was blessed, I think, to find love the second time around after such a difficult marriage and after the traumatic death of my father. Um, but, you know, that, as I said, you know, it, it, for me, the word settling down is extremely um, derogatory. Um, I would never settle down. Uh, even if I were to find true love and, uh, you know, a companion, i think we would just uh, soar i mean i would hope we would fly not settle also you know the the i've always said this that you know sometimes and i don't like saying it too much nowadays i'm mindful of this because i hear it so much around me women are women's worst enemies and i think that it's an indoctrination see it it is like you know how you you make someone a terrorist you know by brainwashing them right telling them that you need to kill people or for, and this this i'm not referring to an islamic terrorist i mean there's right wing terrorism there's all sorts of toxic uh, you know sort of uh, hatred in this world so this is the religion does this also right where you you look at what's happening in our country now there is so much of communal divide so much of mob lynching you know this uh, this division of human beings and Indians on the basis of, are you a bhakt, are you liberal, you know, are you Hindu, are you Muslim, you know, which I feel is so sad because I think as a culture, we are such a plural syncretic cosmopolitan country, which accommodates so many languages, so many religions, so many ways of life festivals. I think that's the beauty, you know, of our culture. So, you know, the point is that women mothers, like I'm always telling women in my community that educate your mothers and, uh, you know, re indoctrinate them and teach them things that they might not have had access or privilege to know before. Because the truth is that, I mean, our mothers probably grew up knowing only one life. As I said, you see, Ten or eleven, a woman has her period. The moment she has her period, you connect it with childbirth. Oh, now, now, she can produce a, another human life. Which means now we have to start planning her and prepping her and making her look beautiful and lose weight and be a graduate and speak good English and be fair, tall, slim. You know all the adjectives that you see in a matrimonial ad, so that she can hook a boy from a rich upper caste family who will take care of her. Now, what does that even mean? Like, why should men be taking care of us? I I mean, I sometimes think of the pressure that patriarchy puts on the other sex. I mean, thank God I'm a woman. I mean, of course there are atrocities committed against my sex and I shudder every day when I read the newspapers and I feel scared, you know, what is the world that my sister who is now 11 is going to inherit. But having said that, why have we even trapped men into this provider maibap uh, you know this kind of ji kind of cage i'm sure one of the reasons indian men are so toxically dysfunctional and insensitive uh, and have no gender sensitization is because in a way we've done that to them like you know i was just talking on a webinar where i was saying that will an indian woman ever marry a man who says You work, I'll stay home and look after the kids. Nobody, nobody. You know, will our parents ever give us in marriage to a guy? The first thing a man is asked is, what is your CTC? Even if he's ugly as hell, I mean, I hate to use that term to, you know, call somebody ugly, but I'm saying even if he's physically not attractive by conventional standards, if he's a a CEO of a company or he's from IIT, IIM, he can get the prettiest girl. You know, he can get the best looking girl probably because of that. So I I just feel that, you know, to a certain extent, uh, you know, women do this to women. And, you know, I mean, mothers, I mean, I interviewed women who said that their mothers were applying fair and lovely on them from the age of seven and eight they were putting them on crash diets, they were literally starving them because they were so frightened that my fat daughter will never be able to get a good jamai, you know. Uh, So it's all toxic, like even the even the way marriages performed, I mean, I'm talking of a Hindu marriage here, you know, uh, where, you know, the daughter will throw a mound full of rice behind her shoulders, Uh, symbolic of repaying the pitridan and the matridan. Can you ever repay your parents for the love that they have in their hearts for you? So by doing this and by, by literally banishing your daughter and making her cross over the threshold, women are so frightened to break out of a marriage because Indian women, grown Indian women, urban Indian women, working women are shit scared. Oh my God, my father will have a heart attack. Oh my God, what will my mama say? What will my kaka say? What will my, you know, Jade uh, ji say? You know, what will my tauji say? You know, mere bhaiya kya bolenge? Are, how does it matter? Your bhaiya is not sleeping on the bed that you slept in, you know, but look at it. I mean, you know, we have so much of dowry debts even now. And shamelessly, families of women, uh, you know, pander to demands of men. Look at the way women dress up during their marriage. I mean, we have to introspect on these things, wearing all the jewelry, you know, as if she's some kind of a Christmas tree on display.
0: I have to uh, definitely share over here, like the points that you mentioned, that's the conditioning, like not only women, the men are also put into this trap of, you know, doing this. So the conditioning that these women and men have uh, got since childhood. So regarding the dowry, even I know some of the colleagues, ex-colleagues and friends who were literally put into the thing of, uh, you know, uh, this party is giving this much money so who is better mm. so you judge accordingly and then they marry so it is really very I would say you know I don't yeah, know we, it's like we do that right we do that I mean we in, you
1: know the parents of the girl i mean in this is a culture where i mean i've heard this a lot in northern india when i lived in delhi for over 15 years yeah. hum to beti ka ghar ka pani bhi nahi lete kyun nahi lete kyun nahi lete bhai beti ka ghar ka pani kyun nahi piyenge aap log beti ko itna padhaya hai itna likhaya hai itna apne usko matlab you know you have made her into a self confident woman phir pani kyun nahi piyoge kyunki pani ke upar uska pati ka naam likha hai She's also earning, most women are earning and paying the EMI, looking after the kids, looking after the in-laws. So we have to break the, you know, the gilded cages of these gender roles, you know, which have been coming down from ages immemorial. And like I said, you know, we have to create other milestones for women, you know which is not only her baby shower, her wedding day, her engagement, and this this fairy tale illusion of marriage, you know, which is perpetuated by books, popular culture, by, uh, you know, social media, we have to see marriage for what it is. I mean, look at the rates of divorce in this country, look at the rates of dowry death, look at the, you know, marital rape, you know, look at the, the rates of domestic violence in India, one of the highest in the world. So most of the women are molested, raped, beaten. Uh, you know, they're treated like shit by their husbands. It's in the most intimate relationship that the grossest form of abuse happens. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, it, it's been coming down the centuries really, and we have to be the change that we want to see. We have to develop, uh, you know, like we tell men, you know, grow a pair of balls. So like I tell women, grow your own. You know, if you obviously we can't grow balls, but, you know, grow a pair of wings and, uh, you know, carry your, you know, uh, you know, not your pepper spray, but carry your sword, uh, you know, your mental sword. I don't mean that I'm telling women to actually carry swords, but I'm saying slay these stereotypes and smash patriarchy. And of course, you're going to be rebellious. You're going to be considered to be Bohemian or, you know, the bitch or the, you know, the, the uh, betty who's, you know, too mufert or too aggressive. So be it, so be it, revolution will happen. Empowerment is not going to be handed to you on a silver plate, uh, you know, and by a waiter in a, you know, three piece suit. Empowerment will come through women's feminist movements and revolutions, and this is one of one of the many streams in this sea of currents that I think every Indian woman is now a part of.
0: And even the word feminist is being taken in a very different ways by different people. Like mm-hmm. many people don't even understand the real word of feminism, and they just think it completely well, out of
1: feminism is evolving. Uh, I I don't think feminism is as a shrill, male-bashing rhetoric anymore. I think to me, feminism has always meant a fight for equal rights. Uh, To me, feminism is, my my feminism is akin to my humanity, is akin to my humanism. So I don't see it as diverse at all. Uh, Also, I'm quite surprised sometimes when I see women, proudly declaring on social media I'm not a feminist I mean you know sometimes I feel like shaking them up and saying what's so wrong in being a feminist here is the
0: point because people think that that's the point that many people find the definition in a different different manner where many people and even women think that the being a feminist means you're bashing the male so they like males start to avoid them hate them but they don't know the real definition of feminism that's a sad part just like rightly you mentioned right it is more about humanity it is more about seeing as an individual as a human being and not like an object or anything else so that's
1: something I find men actually surprise me these days of course they're still idiots largely but they surprise me when because i am meeting a lot of men for my work i don't mean uh, for pleasure or you know on dating apps etc but i meet a lot of men for work and they are very supportive of the community status single they all reach out to me saying shri how can how can we get you to speak in our offices uh, you know i have a daughter somebody will say you know i have a sister who got divorced somebody will say i was raised by a single mom shri you know somebody will say that you know uh, my cousin you know has just come back home she's battling a very very difficult divorce uh, somebody will say i've got two sisters who want to go to iit they don't want to get married you know there uh, somebody will say my sister is a lesbian you know so i find men these days actually they don't say it out as loud because you know even on social media or facebook it's largely a women's uh, bitch fest or slug fest or you know support fest But I think men quietly are telling us that, can we, can you help us to join you? You know, we are tired of being the enemy. You know, we want to be seen as respectable, good human beings. And of course, most of us or a lot of us are the rapists, are the husbands who beat wives, are the fathers who will not allow you to wear sleeveless and come back home past a certain time, are the brothers who on and Panchayats are the misogynist politicians who blame a woman's attire and her rape, uh, you know, to her rape, but, you know, we want to be the change makers. But I see women going the other tangent. I see a lot of women now saying, oh, I don't want to be a feminist. I'm not a feminist. And I think they're scared that, you know, what if men start hating us? Because like I said, we don't know. Our entire life is hinging on male approval, male validation, male lust, male desire. Male approval, man giving us the job, man appreciating us in the home, man appreciating us when we are going out, we are looking at the husband and saying, kya moti lag rahi hu? And the husband saying, nahi, nahi, tumne to bahut weight loss hai. Or the man outside the trial room, or, you know, the, the male HR person who's not checking out your boobs and actually checking out your resume. So this is a man's world and we you know probably there is a, there is a certain section of women and sadly so it's a lot of these so called liberal women who call you know they they put up pictures of sari packs and girl tribe and all that but then they say oh you know we are not feminists so actually they are scared you know they don't want to lose uh, the male vote i would say uh, because they are underconfident Uh, they're toxic at some level and they're deeply uh, I think misogynistic themselves and I feel they don't have a sense of self-worth so they feel that what if you know what if I lose my men friends what if I'm considered to be like this you know this activist type you know I've been called somebody once told me oh but Shimo you're, you're you're so glamorous I said what does that mean No, I thought you would be an activist type. A woman told me this. And I said, what does activist type mean? I mean, I have the highest regard for my feminist mentor Kamla Bhaseen ji, or, you know, for a a hardcore activist like Medha Patkar, or, you know, for instance, a writer turned social activist like Arundhati Roy. I, I bow down and I salute the strength and the fight and the movements of these women so i don't know what what women mean when they say these uh, superficial silly things oh you don't look like an activist oh you don't look 43 you know I, i'm telling you a lot of our uh, i think uh, women's empowerment movement apart from you know changing gender conditioning and in you know invoking gender sensitization also has to educate reeducate and rewire and recondition women.
0: It boils down to the point that we need to see each other as just human beings at the basic level. And when that humanity comes into picture, then the entire story starts changing. So uh, what is the most important feature of your community status single? And any women out there can join this community who are actually single, be it mothers, be it women of any age. Um, You
1: know, the, the, well, the community belongs to everyone, like I said, Uh, you know, the the sort of, you know, how do I say, the precondition to get into the community is that you have to be single. And by single, I mean, uh, you know, uh, basically women who are not legally married. Definition of anyone to join the community, and like I said, uh, it is not a clarion call telling women that marriage is bad or men are bad, no, not at all. What we are saying is be uh, empowered, be self sufficient financially, uh, do not tolerate disrespect, abuse, uh, you know, injustice, uh, any form of systemic exploitation and violence, fight against that. That is what we are trying to teach and help women achieve through our community.
0: That is beautiful. And I must say this movement is no doubt going to shake up a lot of age-old beliefs and shed out the conditioning, definitely. So let's uh, ask Shreemoi that who is she when she is not writing or when she is not on uh, an interview with somebody or anything. So what do you do other than these, in your free time as hobbies or something, what do you love to do?
1: Well, my love is now, uh, I married my lover. That's the way I say it. So, you know, when you marry your lover, what happens? its It becomes, passion becomes a job. So my passion, my writing, which was a hobby, initially to begin with, became my profession, journalism. Uh, then creative writing, which was something that I did uh you know just basically uh, to release my emotions and which I always found cathartic like I told you since a child uh, is now my bread and butter um so other than that uh, you know I'm a very uh Uh, you know, very, very family oriented person. So I love spending time with my parents and my darling sister who's blossoming into such a intelligent, matured, sensible and beautiful little swan. So, um, you know, I'm her fun element in her life. So we go out, we take a vacation once a year as two sisters and people are so surprised because she's 11 and I'm 43. So we always get the question, how can you have such a young sister? I think they mentally try to imagine my mother and my father that what kind of family is this? You know, One sister is 43, one sister is 11. But I think we have a beautifully unconventional family. And I think we are an inspiration to many families which are not heteronormative, uh, you know uh, you know conditioned or they can look at fostering they can look at adoption as a way of caregiving and nurturing someone uh, well i love to cook i love to cook so i i cook almost every evening especially during the lockdown Uh, My sister's mother, who's our house self, was the only house staff because she's 24 hours with us. So in order to give her a break, to allow her to rest and relieve herself, I used to do and I still do all the cooking. Uh, I'm into fitness. Uh, At 40, I took a vow to uh, commit to my physical health. So I work out. I'm actually training for four packs. Uh, I love a very muscular, chiseled, uh, not a thin body, but a strong body a disease-free body, hopefully. So that's what I'm working towards. Uh, Travel is another passion. Uh, I do love to travel, but uh, Mm -hmm. when you're self-employed, you have to cut your coat according to your cloth. So a lot of my traveling is in my mind. My community actually, you know, takes up a lot of my time. I honestly, these days, find myself having lesser and lesser time, even for Ma, even for Baba, even for my sister, because, you know, there's always someone calling. There's always a lawyer that I have to talk to or a doctor or, you know, just fly somebody down and, you know, we're connecting people. So, you know, slowly, I think I see this shaping into an organization someday. Like, I tell my sister that you, you know, when I'm dead and gone, you must continue the movement and, you know, find other sisters like yourself uh, to share the vision with you. So that's what I do. I also shop. I love to shop. I'm very girly. So I love clothes and my saris and jewelry. Um, Yeah, and art. I love going to art galleries, love music. So music is on 24 by 7 in my home, in my you know, on my earphones.
0: Yeah, I guess that's what I do. (laughs) That is just amazing. And I'm sure this vision is going to be huge. And yes, you are doing an amazing work. And that's why your time is getting, uh, you know, packed up so much. But uh, here is another question. If not a writer or a columnist or a journalist or, you know, a lover of art, who would Shri be? Well
1: you know when i was growing up i had a dream like 99.9% of girls in this country to get married and have children and i wasn't very ambitious either you know i uh, would you know probably have been very happy to be just a homemaker and i re- now i realize that what a what a snake pit i would have walked into uh, because god forbid if my marriage had uh, not worked out i would be like so many women in my community who uh, today are crying tears because, you know, they have no savings, uh, the family doesn't support them, or they have really old parents who are physically dependent, financially dependent on them. The brothers are married, they've washed their hands off. So uh, if I wasn't a writer, I would still probably be a journalist. I was, uh, I love journalism. As I said, it's in my blood. Um, or I would have been a play- professional playback singer because, you uh, I actually wanted to be that when I was growing up. I used to sing like a dream. So I probably would have been a singer.
0: That is new. That is something really interesting to know that you also love to sing. Maybe someday we'll uh, hear you sing. and oh, you can I don't also... sing
1: anymore. Dear. I don't sing anymore. I actually gave up singing when I lost my maternal grandmother. Um, it's, it's it's a dark phase of my life. It's a scar I think I carry. Maybe someday when I'm completely healed and freed from you know my karmic debt to her, uh, I will find the courage to sing again in public. Now, of course, I sing at parties. I sing, uh, you know, and I'm always singing. I'm, I'm not a bathroom singer. I actually I'd never sing in the bathroom. I'm always listening to music in the bathroom, but I never sing. So I'm far better than a bathroom singer. But yeah, someday maybe a
0: single. I mean, who knows? That's amazing. That's beautiful. And Srimo, before we wrap up, uh, is there any message you would like to give the men and women out there?
1: You know, I'm not a big one for messages because I think uh, for me, life is about being unlearning. Uh, And I think uh, we've had such a difficult year with the COVID. Uh, In my family, there have been many deaths of my close relatives, loved ones. Uh, I think life is very fragile, you know, and the only thing that we can be blessed for is our health and is the physical presence and blessings of our elders, you know. So I would just like to tell women and, uh, you know, I hope you have a lot of single women listening to your podcast because it is truly inspiring what you're doing also. So I want to tell single women that please don't look at your life as a failure if you've not got married or your marriage has broken up or you have lost your husband to tragic circumstances or, you know... uh, you are alone in a city, your children are grown up and they live away and you're facing an emptiness syndrome or you're a woman with disability, or you know you are a woman who is not able to come out into the open about her sexuality. Uh, I think womanhood is a very complete state. We don't need uh, anyone else or anything else to complete us. If we can access the full power of our divine feminine, I think, you know, like the Gita says, Aham Brahma. So the universe is you and you are the universe. So if we can really channel into that energy and look at our feminism as our human, you know, our human struggle, our human, uh, you know, movement, our human rights battle, I think we will fight automatically for this world to be a more compassionate, more egalitarian, more just. And most importantly, a more loving place where men and women are not drawing swords at each other and killing and raping and attacking and trolling and, you know, slurring and, you know, putting putting each other down. But we will just realize that we are two peas of the same pod and we will love each other. We will fight for each other. We will listen to each other. We will be more mindful of each other's strengths and differences. And together, hopefully, we can grow.
0: That is just beautiful. And thank you so much for this amazing, amazing message to all of us together. So thank you so much, Srimoyi, for coming to this podcast and having this amazing discussion, because it is needed. Someone needs to speak, someone needs to raise the awareness. And you are doing an amazing thing. And this movement, like it is going to spread like anything to help other women out there. So Congratulations and all the best on this endeavor. Thank
1: you, thank you. Like I said, um, now, as soon as you get off the podcast, you have to, uh, you know, get your butt down to the community. Uh, We make the community together. There are 74.1 million single women in India. 39% of the female population is single. We have the highest ever number of single women in the country right now. And all of you have to make the movement successful, sustainable, and strong. So Srimoyi could be the face of it, or maybe God chose me as, you know, the force to begin it. But I hope it, it, you know, it lives on far more than me. And it reaches far more many women, you know, far many women than what I can possibly humanly reach out to. So each of you have to take, you know, it's like a relay race where we just take the baton and we just carry it forward. So I hope you as a, you know, successful, strong, self-assured, empowered single woman of the 21st century at 31 years of age, you are going to also induct new members into the community, join the community, be a role model, be a spokesperson, help single women in your circles to feel that they are not alone that's really my dream and my vision
0: that is beautiful but I'm still I I still think I'm not yet successful I'm still in the learning phase and I've just begun but that is definitely beautiful thank you so much Srimoy and that is Srimoy Piu Kundu who with her amazing works and amazing endeavor and struggle and all her experiences is helping out women out there to make something out of their life to realize their self-worth so she is not just inspiring people out there men and women alike definitely because it is not also possible without men in our society together but she's also intensifying humanity to the best possible extent thank you for tuning in